this morning. Uh, I hope you're ready because we're going to jump in. We're going to wrap up today uh, our series uh, entitled, What Time Is It? A Study of End Times. And we have spent uh, the last four weeks kind of diving into the end times scenario uh, and I want to just go ahead and start out and give a great big special thank you uh, to Dr. Forrest Van Zant, uh, who really helped make this possible. And if you have not uh, gotten his syllabus, you can go to our website, scroll down on the main homepage just a little bit down the page, and there'll be a link there for the syllabus, and we can get that emailed directly to you and uh, get you to be a part of what is going on. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11 has been a scripture we've read every week because this scripture really kind of sums up part of my heartbeat for this study. Uh, it says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And part of my prayer during this series is that this would stir up, that this series on end times would stir up a holy curiosity that there would be something in you that would become curious, not just of end time events, but of the Word of God in general, and that like the Bereans, that we would be open-minded, that we would have an open mind that says, God, I want to hear and I want to see everything that you say to us through Scripture. I pray that we would also listen eagerly. I pray that we would never become so prideful or arrogant to think that our way is always the right way. Amen. I hope that we live with a student's heart that says, God, I'm always willing to listen and I'm always willing to learn so I can continue to grow in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus. And then last but not least, my prayer and desire is that we would study the Scripture daily. I told you on day one, I am not an end-time scholar but I am a student of the Word of God. And you don't have to be an end-time scholar, but every person in here can study the Scriptures on a daily basis, and you can become a student of Scripture. And you can become a student of the Word. And we ought to search the Scriptures every day to make sure that the things that we hear and the things that we see and even the things that we believe in our own heart are true based off the Word of God. The last thing that I really hope happens is I hope that this series creates an urgency. I hope it creates an urgency in each and every one of our hearts to be about the mission of the church because I've, been, I've, I've tried to be very clear. We don't have to agree on eschatology. You don't have to agree with the things that I've been teaching about how end time events are going to unfold. We don't have to agree on those things. But we do have to agree on the mission of the church, which is to win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. And the good news is, is that we can disagree on eschatology, and we can agree on the mission of the church, and we can work together. Amen? And we can reach our world with the gospel. So that really is my prayer for this series. So uh, last week, we kind of dissected the first three and a half years of the tribulation, I'm going to revisit very quickly this morning uh, those things that we talked about that are going to happen in the first three and a half years of the great tribulation. Today we're going to look at the last half of the great tribulation and at the events that are going to unfold after the seven years of great tribulation, leading us ultimately to the earthly reign of Christ in a new heaven and on a new earth. So let's just real revisit real quickly. We said the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, or Daniel's 70, 70 week, 70th week, unpacks some alarming and some really horrifying things. We said the Antichrist is revealed as a political or world leader. We said that 144,000 Jews are sealed with the Holy Spirit and begin to testify that Jesus is Messiah and the blindness of Israel is beginning to be removed. We said that the Jews are going to rebuild the temple and begin offering daily sacrifices in Jerusalem. 
We said that the two witnesses who are the two prophets who we believe uh, probably to be Moses and Elijah will step on the scene and begin to prophesy judgment against the Antichrist and the new world system that's being established on the earth. We said that the seven seals and seven trumpets of judgment are going to be poured out on the earth. And then the two witnesses are going to be blamed for the destruction on the earth, killed by the Antichrist. The world's going to celebrate their death. And after three days, God raises them from the dead and then raptures them into his presence. And then the Antichrist is supernaturally going to recover from a deadly wound. He will be unveiled and given authority over the earth for 42 months, which is three and a half years. The false prophet is kind of the, the Antichrist's right-hand man. He is a spiritual leader in an end-time world. And he will convince the world to make an image of the Antichrist, set it up in the temple, commanding that all the world worship him or die. And this will begin the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Again, if you have not listened to the first three messages, I encourage you to go to YouTube, go to our social media, and check out these first three messages. So let's kind of jump into where we're at today. The beginning of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So once the Antichrist is unveiled and demands worship, and if you remember, we talked about that during the first three and a half years, he's going to come on the scene as a political leader. He's going to be a savior for the day. He's going to begin to enforce the covenants that have been made with Israel and he's going to begin to rise in power and position and authority but he will not be unveiled as the Antichrist until he sets up a statue of himself in the temple and demands that the whole world worship him when he does that everybody knows hey this guy is the Antichrist and he is now demanding he is now declaring that he is God and that he deserves all the world to worship him so when that happens he will begin immediately. I want you to see this. He will begin immediately. Once he sets himself up as God to be worshipped, he will begin immediately to blaspheme God and to attack the Jews, the Jewish people. But God will provide a place of protection for the Jews. We're going to see that during the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, we're going to see that God is going to provide a place to protect the Jewish people. And I want you to see something. We're going to read the scripture in just a moment. But all the Jews that are alive on planet earth at this time are going to be invited by the Holy Spirit to come to a place that God has prepared for them. And this is a supernatural place of protection, but it will be here on planet earth. And all the Jews around the world are going to be invited to come and be a part of this place of protection. But I want you to hear me. Even then, the Jews are going to have to decide, are they going to accept the Antichrist or are they going to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit and follow God into this place of protection during these last three and a half years? So even the Jews that are alive at that time are going to have to make a decision. Are they going to follow Antichrist or are they going to follow the drawing of the Holy Spirit to lead them to a place where God is going to protect them? So let's read this together in the Scripture. Revelations chapter 13. It says, and then the beast, who is the Antichrist, was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast, again, the Antichrist, was allowed to wage war against God's holy people, that's the Jews, and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And then all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. Revelation chapter 12 says, And when the dragon, who is Satan, 
realized that he had been thrown down to the earth. Now, that's a, that's a key statement. He had been thrown down to the earth because at this time in history, the, the, the Satan is going to be thrown down to the earth. If you remember, up to this moment in history, Satan had access to God. Do you remember the book of Job? Do you remember the Bible says in the book of Job that Satan appears before God? Do you remember that? And so right now, Satan has access into the presence of God and on the earth. He reigns and lives in the heavenlies, and he has authority on the earth. But at this moment in time, he is going to be cast down to the earth, cast out of heaven, no longer having heavenly access to the throne of God, and he knows that his time is short, literally three and a half years. He knows his time is about up. So he is cast down to the earth, and he realizes he's been thrown down to the earth, so this is what he does. He pursues the woman. The woman here is Israel, who has, been give, who has given birth to the male child, which is Jesus. Now look at verse 14. But she, Israel, was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon, who is Satan, for time, times, and half a time. That's, again, another way of saying three and a half years. So Satan all of a sudden realizes he only has three and a half years. He now begins to declare war against the Jewish people, and he tries to pursue and destroy them. But God gives them wings, which speaks of supernatural favor and blessing over them to escape. God empowers them to move swiftly and come to a place of protection where he's going to cover them from the attack of the enemy for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Jesus said it like this. Look at Matthew 24. Maybe you've read this scripture and you've never really understood what it means until maybe now. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and that's what happens when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped, that's the abomination of desolation. So Jesus is speaking here to the Jews as he's walking the earth, and he says, hey guys, when you see that happen, this is what I want you to do. Look what he says. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because if you're pregnant and nursing babies, it's going to slow you down. How many of you are taking a vacation with kids and taking a vacation without kids is a game changer? It's going to slow you down. Woe to those who are pregnant nursing babies. Why? Because you're not going to be able to escape as fast as those who don't. Because Jesus said when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped, don't go into the house to get some more clothes. Don't go back home to gather anything. You need to flee and you need to run. And the Holy Spirit is going to give them wings of protection and speed and blessing to get to a place that God is going to protect them and cover them for three and a half years. And then he goes on and he says, and pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath day. Why? Because again, it's going to slow their ability to escape from the wrath of the Antichrist who has now declared war against every Jew to kill them. Verse 21, and then there will be a great tribulation. Such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, not even, no, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, the Jews, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look here, there's the Christ, or there, don't believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, again, which are the Jews. See, I have told you this beforehand. Now let me just say something to you. How do we know he's specifically speaking to the Jews? Look at verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, literally interpreted the Messiah, the anointed one. If somebody says, here's the Christ or there's the Christ, don't believe them. Just run to the place that I prepared for you. How do we know he's talking to the Jews? We know he's talking to the Jews because how many Gentiles do you know that are looking for a Messiah? When's the last time you were at work? Most of us probably work with very few Jews, mostly Gentiles. When's the last time you said, hey, when do you think Messiah's coming? Gentiles are not looking for a Messiah. Only the Jews, right? As a matter of fact, all God-honoring, God-fearing Jews are looking for one thing. You know what they're looking for? Messiah. We know Jesus is talking here to the Jews. Remember, everything in, in end time prophecy revolves around three things. Israel, the land of Israel, the Jews, God's people, and Jerusalem, the holy city. Everything revolves around those three things. And so at the beginning of this three and a half years of tribulation, the Antichrist is going to begin to blaspheme the name of God. He's going to begin to persecute and kill the Jews. And God's going to provide a place of, of protection. And he's going to provide supernatural favor over them to escape and be protected during this time. Look at the next point. And then, and then the seven bowls of God's wrath will be poured out on the earth. Specifically upon those who have the mark of the beast the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Babylon, which at this time is the capital city of the Antichrist. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to distinguish something. During the first three and a half years of the tribulation, it is the judgment of God. God is judging the earth as a just judge for rejecting his son Jesus as Messiah. And everyone on the earth, other than 144,000 Jews, are affected by the judgment of God that is being poured out on the earth for those who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah and Savior of the world. In the last three and a half years, it changes. We shift from the judgment of God to what is going to be called the wrath of God. Because the very moment that the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem and declares that he is God, and then he declares war on the Jewish people. You know what God does? In that moment, God declares war on the Antichrist. And the last three and a half years, God pours out not his judgment, but his wrath on his enemies. How many know there's a big difference between righteous judgment and then the wrath that's being poured out on enemies? God is declaring war. The first three and a half years of judgment had an element of redemption. How many know that when you declare war, you're not trying to redeem somebody, you're trying to destroy somebody? The last three and a half years, God is pouring out his wrath to destroy the Antichrist and those who have rejected his son and have blasphemed the very holy name of God. So let's read that in Revelations 15. It says, and then I saw in heaven another marvelous great significance. Another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues that would bring God's wrath to completion. Revelation 16. 
And then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your way and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast who had worshipped his statue. The Jews, all the Jews that have fled for safety are now being protected from the wrath of God that's being poured out on the earth. But everyone left on the earth that has received the mark is now being punished and judged by God with his wrath as he is declaring war against his enemies. Look at verse 3. And then the second angel pours out his bowl on the sea, and it became like, like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. And a third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs, and they became blood. And I heard an angel who had authority over all waters saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. And since they shed the blood of your holy people, the Jews, and your prophets, the Jewish people, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And then I heard a voice from the altar saying, Oh yes, O Lord God Almighty, your judgments are true and just. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these, all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. And then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now the throne of the beast right now, he set himself up in Jerusalem. To be worshipped. And so now God is pouring out his judgment, his wrath on the throne of the beast. Look at this. This is interesting. And his kingdom and on, on, poured out his, read again. The angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. And his subjects ground their teeth in anguish. And they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. So think about what's just happened. The sea has been turned to blood. All the rivers and streams have been turned to blood. There is no longer water on the earth. It has all been turned to blood. And now the sun has got so hot that it's burning and scorching people with unquenchable flames. But at the same time, think about this, at the same time that the sun is burning and scorching people, God sends darkness over the beasts and those who worship them. And they're filled with pain and sorrow and grunt at their teeth and grind their teeth in anguish and pain. But they still refuse to repent and worship God. Verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great, river, great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leaping from the mouth of the dragon. Again, that's Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And these, they are demonic spirits who work miracles. And they go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. And look, I will come un as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are, those, are all those who are watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and be ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place in the Hebrew name Armageddon. You ever heard about the battle of Armageddon? Things are right now falling into place in this scripture for the battle of Armageddon to happen. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, It is finished. And then the thunder crashed and rolled and the lightning flashed and a great earthquake struck. The worst since people were placed on the earth. 
and the great city of Babylon, which was the capital of the Antichrist, split into three sections. And the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce what? His fierce wrath. Now look at verse 20. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled. And there was a terrible hailstorm, and the hailstones weighed as much as 75 pounds, fell from the sky onto the people below, and they cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstones. Something that's interesting about that last part of the hell is in the book of Leviticus, the Bible says that for those that blaspheme the name of God, they should be stoned to death. And now the world is filled with those who have blasphemed the name of God, and God stones the earth with 75-pound hailstones to silence the voice of blasphemy. And if his judgment was not sustained, as Jesus said, all the earth would have died. But after that seventh bowl of God's wrath, something else happens. Look at that next point. And at the end of that three and a half years of tribulation, at the end of those three and a half years of the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out on the earth, now Jesus Christ returns. Jesus Christ returns on a white horse and the church returns with him. Can I get an amen from somebody out there? And the battle of Armageddon takes place and all who have received the mark of the beast are killed. The Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. And Christ reigns on the earth with a rod of iron signifying his authority and his power for one thousand years. That's a lot. Let's talk about it. Revelations 19. It says, And then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. And its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous what? What is Jesus doing during this last three and a half years? He is declaring war on the Antichrist and his system that has now risen up to take its place as God. God is declaring war. And his eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, that's us guys, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. I hope you can ride. Amen? And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come and gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the world And their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured. This is the Antichrist. And with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. And both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 
and their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding on the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead body let me tell you something when you fight with God it's not a long fight when Jesus Christ returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords on a white horse to declare war on his enemies the Bible says that he will bind the Antichrist and he will bind the false prophet and they will be cast into the lake of fire where they will burn forever and ever and ever. And then with the sword that comes out of his mouth, with one word from God, all the armies, the battle of Armageddon is going to end like that. Because with one word from God, he's going to slay the wicked and those who follow the Antichrist. And the Bible says that the vultures of the earth are going to come and feast on their bodies. The Bible actually tells us that the blood from that slaughter is going to flow the height of the bridle of a horse's mouth, and it's going to be 200 miles long. That's going to be the river of blood that's going to flow on the earth for those who had set themselves up to be the enemies of God and blasphemed his name and Jesus in a moment brings an end look at this next point I want you to see this let's read on here Revelations 20 it says and then I saw an angel come down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand and he seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. And the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, uh, then he, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterwards, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had, be, had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast, nor his statue, nor accepted his mark in their foreheads or their hands. And they all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until a thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, for the second death holds no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years so once the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast in the lake of fire Satan is bound in the bottomless pit now God resurrects those who have been killed during the seven years of tribulation mostly Jews who refuse to receive the mark of the beast and they're resurrected to join me and you those of us who have already been raptured and raised to life by the power of God at the rapture of the church and we will reign together with Christ for a thousand years on the earth it's called the millennial reign of Christ and God will bring it all together just like he said he would amen now Somewhere in the midst of the last three and a half years and the beginning of the millennial reign, we're going to have what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb and the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, all of those who are redeemed, that would be me and you and even the Jews that have now been redeemed and accepted Christ, are going to stand before the Lord and we are going to not be judged on whether we go to heaven or hell. That's already been settled through the blood of Jesus. We are going to be judged according to our works and we are going to be rewarded for how we lived our lives in light of what Jesus has done for us. And it's going to be an amazing day. And all our works, the Bible says, are going to be tried by fire. And those things that remain, that are, 
that are gold, silver, and precious stone, the Apostle Paul describes them. Those things we're going to be rewarded for. And we're going to step into an eternity with an eternal reward that's going to last forever based on how we lived our lives on earth, living for the one who died for us. You want to know why your Christian life matters? Your Christian life matters because your eternal reward is going to be summed up from the way you lived your life once you accepted Christ. Pretty big deal, guys. Let's look at the next thing. I want you to see this. After the thousand years, Satan is going to be released. And then he's going to be defeated in the Gog-Magog battle. And Satan is going to be cast in the lake of fire where he will be tormented forever and ever and ever. Revelations 20. And when the thousand years have come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. And he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as the sands along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. They surrounded God's people and the beloved city. What's the beloved city? Jerusalem, right? Where is this all happening? Three places, the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and the people of God. And here they are. Here, here is the, the people, the, the Gog and Magog army that has now gathered around and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Look at this. What an amazing thought. Verse 10. And the devil, well, let, me, let me just back up. And I saw, verse 9, and I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Let me say it again. When you fight with God, you lose quickly. At the battle of Armageddon, with one word from the mouth of God, the armies are destroyed. And blood flows for 200 miles as high as a horse's battle, bridle. At the battle of Gog and Magog, God sends fire down from heaven and consumes those who have gathered up against his Christ and the holy city. And then the devil, verse 10, who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And after the thousand-year millennial reign, after the battle of Gog and Magog, then, look at this next point, then the great white throne judgment will take place. And a new heaven and a new earth will appear. The new Jerusalem will come down from heaven to the earth where Jesus Christ will reign and dwell with us forever and ever and ever for eternity. Revelations 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky, fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their, according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Look at verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There is one hope and one escape, and his name is Jesus. The only way a person escapes the lake of fire is that they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There is no other way. There's one way. His name is Jesus. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then you will spend eternity separated from God. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Revelations 21. John says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride dressed beautifully for her husband. And heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people, and I will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. What a glorious place God is preparing for me and you. Amen. And all these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowards, the unbelieving, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Let me just say this to you today. What we now consider heaven, when people we love that are born-again believers in Christ have died, what we consider heaven is not typically what we describe here, what is described in Revelations. Heaven right now, for those who have died in Christ, is the, is the presence of God. They are with Him. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And anywhere Jesus is, is heaven. Amen? But there's going to come a new heavens around us and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness and we will live in a new heaven on a new earth forever and ever with Christ. And what we typically describe as heaven, you ever heard somebody describe heaven as having, having gates of pearl and streets of gold? You ever heard anybody describe heaven that way? Well, what they're really describing is not, quote, heaven. What they're really describing is the new Jerusalem that's going to come down of heaven and going to be the centerpiece of the earth where Christ will reign on the new earth and we will worship Him and we will serve Him and we're not going to be angels floating on clouds playing harps. We're going to subdue the earth and we're going to rule over it as priests and kings with God forever and ever and ever and ever. And there'll be no death and there'll be no sorrow and there'll be no pain and there'll be no tears. And all that will have passed away. And behold, all things will be new. What an amazing thing God has done for us. Now, I want to give you one last point. I can't guarantee you. I can't guarantee you that everything I have said is going to happen in the order I have explained it, okay? I can't guarantee that. And I've tried to be very honest with you. There are some very intelligent men that are a whole lot smarter than I am that have different opinions on the timetable of things we've talked about. I can guarantee you that everything that we've read from Scripture is going to happen just like God said it's going to happen, amen? And every event that we've talked about that's going to unfold in the end times is going to unfold in the end times. Now, whether the order that I have taught it to you is exactly right, I can't guarantee that. I have taught you to the best of my ability. The truth is I believe and know it. But I can't guarantee that it's 100% accurate in the timeline and its table. But I can guarantee you one thing. And this is what I can guarantee you. Unless Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire tormented forever and ever with no hope I can guarantee you that I can guarantee you that if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called the lake of fire where you will burn forever and ever and ever and never die and burn forever and ever and ever and never die 
And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, how could a loving God do that? A loving God never sends anyone to hell. A loving God honors the decision that you make that says, I reject Christ. Because if you reject Christ, then you accept hell. If you reject the presence of God and the authority of God and the beauty of God and the glory of God and the wonder of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, the only thing left is a place called the lake of fire. And God is not going to, quote, send you to hell. God is going to honor the decision that you make to reject His Son. And you're going to be separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. I can guarantee you that. That's the only thing I can guarantee you for sure. There is one hope. Now, I want to close with one scripture right here. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Now, a lot of times we read that and we misinterpret that scripture. Let me just, let me boil it down really simple to you, what Paul's saying here. If a person rejects Jesus, if you reject the knowledge of the truth, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father, and you continue in sin while rejecting Jesus Christ as the hope and the Savior of the world, there is no longer any other sacrifice for sin. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how moral you are. It doesn't matter how you measure up against other people. If you reject the knowledge of the truth that comes through Jesus Christ, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through Him, there is no sacrifice for your sin. There's nothing you can offer God on the day of judgment that will grant you access into heaven. You will be doomed and separated from God. Why? Because you rejected the gift and the hope that God offers through His Son, Jesus. So I want us just to bow our heads today. If you're watching online, I want you just to get get serious with God for just a moment. Close your eyes just right where you're at. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't know if my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've never really surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trusted trusted in His sacrifice for my sin. But I want to do that today. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I want to have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I want to follow Him from this day forward. If that's you, if you're here in person or if you're watching online, if you're here today, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Just a simple act of faith, just raising your hand that says, today I want to trust Him. If you're watching online, just type in that little comment box, I'm raising my hand, I want to accept Christ. Because we're about to pray together today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. I can't guarantee you everything, but I can guarantee you one thing. If you don't know Him, you'll spend eternity without Him. But if you trust Him, He'll save you and forgive you and change your life forever. Let's just pray together right now. I want all of you just to pray it out loud with me. If you're online and you raise your hand, you say, I want to accept Christ. Let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And I receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.